WTS presents 3, 2, 1 All the Feelings This episode Optimism Hello everybody, welcome to WTS presents All the Feelings I'm Pete Wright and that over there is Tommy Metzl the third Hey, I've been here the whole time, what's up? The whole time. <laughs> Tommy, um, so what have we been doing recently? We have been doing things like uh, we just landed on envy slash jealousy. <laughs> that was a real pick-me-up. Uh, before that was stress. Yeah. That was huge. And then we had belonging, which sounds like it should be a pick-me-up, and it was a disaster. <laughs> we made it very sad. <laughs> we, we demonstrated how Maslow created cults. So... <laughs> Uh, before that was doubt like it just keeps going it just keeps going this week we're turning it around yep right yep we're turning it around what are we talking about someone say things are looking up this week we are talking about optimism optimism noun hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something oh robot robot even sounds happier today it things really are we're turning frowns upside down. And with that, I would like to talk about um, something bad about optimism. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. There is a hidden danger in optimism, and I want to talk about it. open on the hidden danger of optimism. Pete, listen. I know we're not covering... Oh, spoiler alert. I know that we're not covering fear. We're covering fear next episode, just in time for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you'll allow it, I'd like to tell you a, oh, I don't know, harrowing tale of optimism gone wrong. Would you like to hear it? Oh my God. I guess. All right. It takes place in the fall of 1996. I was a sophomore at CU Boulder, Sco Buffs, and I was at a party at a friend's apartment, friend of the show, Thomas Threats. You can picture it. A lot of college students milling around inside and out on the deck, holding red solo cups filled with fruit juice, yelling over the loud music, not fruit juice, beer. And I'd had a few solo cups by then, if you know what I mean. And so I was feeling, let's say, optimistic. (laughs) I don't think you know what optimistic is. I think I do, no. But I was feeling very (laughs) good. And we've Mm -hmm. gone over my somewhat embarrassing love of pop music before on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about Rick Astley, Hanson. The more homogenized and mainstream, the better. Uh, Pearl Jam was my kryptonite. (laughs) (laughs) And I still don't know what Jeremy was talking about. (laughs) Anyways, earlier that summer, there was a certain pop single that rocketed up the charts, and I was strapped to that rocket beat. Do you have any guess what that song might have been? And I can give you a clue Uh, if you need it. Well, I'm going to need a clue. Okay. uh, Because I don't, I can't align times to music. Sure. Would it help if I said that I really, really, really want to zig a zig? Ah. Is that Spice Girls? It is. You were I also liked, a Spice Girl. I like Spice Girls. <laughs> I was out on the deck, and the song Wannabe by the Spice Girls started blaring. And I got so hyped so fast that my optimism shot through the roof. I squealed. <laughs> I would have said I shouted, but I was told later that I squealed uh, by onlookers. And I ran inside to the overcrowded living room. And this is a very crowded party. And I leapt on a table. And mm-hmm. then I executed the coolest dance move I've ever done. And people were there for it and they cheered and it was really awesome. You don't believe me, do you? Is it because at the end, did you say, I'm getting married too? <laughs> Shut up. We don't talk about that horrible story. <laughs> uh, when I said I executed the coolest dance move I've ever done, that's not what happened. 
uh, someone who will remain <laughs> nameless, Thomas Threats, had put some sort of a carpet or a rug on top of the table like a giant furry coaster because he's an idiot. And I leapt on the table and immediately <laughs> lost my footing and I slammed to the ground in front of everybody. <laughs> Actually, no, that would have been better. I didn't immediately do it because I did that dumb thing where you try to fight the fall, like when you see people slip on ice. Uh -huh. And I was like, whoa, uh -huh. whoa, whoa, making sure. <laughs> and then you really fell. Everyone was staring at me. You know, like I had everyone's attention. And then I threw my drink on bystanders and I took a few of their <laughs> drinks down with me. Um, I know it's not real, but I honestly remember, like, this is a POV that I have looking up at this sea of people, annoyed people looking down on me, but like fully encased in them. Like I had just cut a Tommy size shape in the crowd, like Wiley Coyote going through a boulder. And they were all like almost all good looking girls. And I remember most of them being in cheerleading outfits, which just not makes sense. What? I think it's just because I was overdoing the embarrassment of it. And my mom was there and my grandmother. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> and it was all very mortifying. What's the point of this story, Pete? As I continue to throw myself on the podcast pyre for this horrible show for our listener. Well, uh -huh. <laughs> I want to say I'm telling this tale for two reasons. Number one, there's no reason to ever put a rug on a table. Pete. You did a PSA yeah. for the feeling friends that we will not share here. Sorry, no. cheapos. You don't get the PSA, but I will give you a PSA right now. Rugs on tables. No go because no go. But also you might suggest people on tables rug or not. Mm. Maybe a no go. I'm going to say rugs on tables. That's really the hard Context. out. Context matters. Context matters. <laughs> Number two, the reason I'm telling this is this is a cautionary tale that involves optimism's dark side. Yes, I had had some liquid courage, but I had also had a heaping dose of something else at that time. Adderall. Adderall, exactly right. Claritin. I didn't know what I thought all <laughs> pills were the same. Have you ever heard of optimism bias? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And do yes, you have? I've heard of it. What do you know? What it might mean? Well, just even context clues. Context is everything. Well, I, it's just like the carrying on the presumption that everything's going to go your way. Everything's coming up, Tommy. Yep. There's a table, rug or not, yep. it's going to be fun. Hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the fancy way of saying it is the tendency to overestimate the likelihood of positive events and underestimate the likelihood of negative events. It is also called mm -hmm. the illusion of invulnerability in the scientific mm -hmm. community. Um. And yeah, that was me. I don't do dance moves. I don't I don't jump on things <laughs> with tables or not. And I don't do the, any of those things in front of people. Instead, I just had this vision of everything going great. Um, mm -hmm. And while optimism is generally a valuable commodity in your life and health, there can also be some serious downsides to optimism when it goes to optimism bias. Would you like? So this is what I wanted to point out. Again, this whole thing is sure. just sort of a cautionary tale. Would you like a non-Spice Girl related example? Of optimism bias. No, I would like all of your examples in the future <laughs> to be Spice Girls related. Is that an option? Well, here's an example of two becoming one. See, I actually do know <laughs> all the songs. Researcher James A. Shepard, along with other scientists, released a study last year on unrealistic optimism. And they pointed out that infrequent events are more likely to be influenced by optimism bias. How does that manifest? Because mm -hmm. that's just a bunch of words. Think about all the people that don't evacuate during things like hurricanes. 
or floods. Sometimes it's because they are unable to. A lot of the times they say, I'm going to roll the dice because the last time it didn't hit my house. And so it's not going to this time. Uh, And they're not everyday events. So we're biased to think that we will make it through. Would you like another example? Yes, keep them coming. There have been tons of studies that reveal that Americans, and this is the one that drives me crazy, that Americans in different economic statuses often vote against their own interests because they are biased to think that their lives will get magically and dramatically better. They're voting in policy for that future instead of the one Mm -hmm. that they currently need help in. Uh, John Steinbeck uh, has a great quote about this where he said, socialism never took root in America because the poor see themselves not as an exploited working class, but as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. So you're always voting in. God, Steinbeck. I know. (laughs) And you can find it everywhere. I just started like poking around in the internet about optimism bias. It's why construction projects always take way longer and go way over budget. It's about kids sharing photos online, even though they've been Mm -hmm. by this time tirelessly warned about cyber threats and blackmail and all that. Climate change deniers, anti-vaxxers. I mean, it's just through the roof. And then I finally made the connection about something that I'm currently very fascinated by. And I'm listening to two different podcasts as it happens. It's the current trial of FTX and Sam Bankman Freed. Oh, do you love this? I love this. I find it fascinating. He allegedly, allegedly, that should be the name of this entire segment. Allegedly. (laughs) He allegedly lost $8 billion of investor money because of optimism bias. You can call it a Ponzi scheme or you can call it optimism bias. He couldn't foresee a future where the crypto market would tank. And so he took investor funds from FTX and then traded them on Alameda a company he says he had no connection with, except he did, and it was run by his (laughs) ex-girlfriend, who he was living with at the time. They lost all the money, and they couldn't pay it back. And that's, but he just assumed they could take the money. They would be able to pay it back because things would keep going up, 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 up. Also, this billion-dollar company, talking about optimism bias, didn't have a chief risk officer. Right. Billion dollar company didn't have a basic (laughs) like that's the fourth person you hire and they were doing their accounting. Do you know where they were doing their accounting? This just came out recently. Was it like QuickBooks? It was QuickBooks. Yeah. And you can hear during the testimony, the the person that's questioning goes QuickBooks. Like it's on their record of just like yelling QuickBooks. This can be seen as optimism bias in its highest and most form. If you're not following that case, I completely understand. It's just, it's so blatantly right there. Uh, And it connects with optimism bias so much. Yeah. It really does. And it really demonstrates how simple this whole conceit is, right? You think about, oh, it's crypto. Oh, it's this. It's just another grift. It's just another guy who was so optimistic in his own like prowess that he got, he he just, it, it's the same thing as a 10 year old sneaking 20 bucks from his mom's purse, right? right? Like he just stole the money mm-hmm. and thought he could get away with it and didn't. Right. Cause he would be able to pay it back. Of course he would. Yeah. Of course he Too would. Too big to fail. Real estate will always go up, up, up. No one will have to pay their mortgages. I mean, Americans, I don't know much about things or words, but I feel like America, because of our capitalistic and at times unfettered capitalistic nature, is really the at the biggest risk for this kind mm-hmm. of stuff because no one's watching right. and you just assume, I mean, we don't learn about bubbles. Bubbles burst, but yeah. we just keep thinking right. this is the 
fucking vulnerable bubble. This is the one that won't. This is the one that won't. Or I'm optimistic enough that I'll get out of this situation before it bursts. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Like, that's the other piece that I have control. I actually found a chart of points of view that I wasn't going to read, but I think they're actually kind of funny. And and I will. And, and do you mind if I interject? Sure, of course. OK, so this is a points of view chart and you have to think about just X like uh, we'll just call it the the technology. Okay. Right. We'll just use that as the as the Mad Lib for all of these points of view. The optimist, the technology is fantastic and we use it on every project. Right. Mm -hmm. The pessimist, the technology is just a marketing ploy. I'll retire before I have to use it. The realist, we're seeing where the technology fits in. Mm. The capitalist, I wish I'd coined the term the technology. I could have made a fortune. The conspiracist, the government is requiring the technology so we give them all our intellectual property. The nihilist, there is no technology. We all live inside the matrix. <laughs> uh, the the uh, idealist, one day the technology will provide unlimited power and water. The communist, your technology belongs to every one of us, each to his need. The beerists. Yes, thank you. I'll have another. Cheers. <laughs> Finally, the opportunist. There's a funny T-shirt in here about the technology right. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like those. And I, I like that And because this and the case that you bring up is such a perfect example of like how we how our identity maps to current events, mm -hmm. because I guarantee you when I'm sitting there listening to the stories of you know, FTX and Sam Bakeman Freed. I am doing it from my optimistic perspective, which says that would never happen to me. I am too smart, too wily, too clever. I could never be, you know, right. have have this happened. But I think Sam Bakeman Freed, when you look at his background, that is exactly the problem that his background was such that he was never mapped to find himself in this scenario. Mm, what do Never. You mean? That's interesting. Well, I mean, he has two well-educated parents. They're professors at Stanford, I think, or Berkeley. He's got. He's always been like you know, smart, top of the class, smart, like engaged in in technology, uh, in the future technology. Like, at what point in his path would you have assumed he would have been engaging in a straight-up grift? Right. And it probably it never occurred to him because of optimism bias that yes. things had been going his way and he was made for success. He was made for it. Right. 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 He was born That's into optimism it. Bias. And so optimism bias. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, of course, I'm not saying that optimism is a problem. Uh, you know, people with optimism are happier in the moment and more eager to take on challenges the future. Of course, of course, of course, I'm not mm -hmm. trying to take down optimism like the podcast. Big optimism. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really shorting optimism <laughs> to use dumb money things. Um, but it can just, I'm optimism biases can go too far. And so yeah. uh, to end this segment, I just offer three things to remember about optimism bias. Number one, hope for the good, but prepare for the risk. You have to think rationally mm -hmm. when you're thinking about mm -hmm. things. And number two, this is one that I found on the internet. This was interesting. Uh, it says, maybe take what's called a post-mortem approach. Think to the end and say, pretend that things maybe didn't go as planned. And then try to find why might that have been? What could have caused the failure? And then address those weaknesses beforehand. Mm -hmm. For instance, um, you've had too many red solo cups. 
check the table before you jump on it. Check the table for carpet. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you have shame intact? <laughs> uh, do you have, is your regret button currently active or does it need updating? Uh, all of those things. And maybe that would have changed. And then number three, of course, uh, probably the most important thing about this entire segment. And Pete, I think that you can take this to heart as much as our listeners. Remember that if you want to be my lover, you got to slam your body down and wind it all around. All right, goodbye. And now excerpts from Optimism by Ella Wheeler Wolcott. Talk happiness. The world is sad enough without your woes. No path is wholly rough. Look for the places that are smooth and clear and speak of those to rest the weary ear. Talk health, the dreary, never-changing tale of mortal maladies is worn and stale. You cannot charm or interest or please by harping on that minor chord, disease. Say you are well, or all is well with you, and the world shall hear your words and make them true. And now, the historic tale of the young mellophile and the perch. He'd seen such perches before. Such stands or platforms were commonplace across the land he knew, often used for basic utilities, such as holding raw items for house owners, or at times used for presenting a feast for guests. And, mayhaps, it was his common knowledge about the aforementioned counters that led to his optimism, the optimism that would ultimately lead to his undoing. But hindsight is Lazik history, and so we go back to the night in question. The young champion, excited to prove his worth to the young rabble around him, waited for his moment. Did he know that he was waiting for a certain symphony, that a certain combination of musical notes might be the starting pistol he needed to gain the infamy he so desired? We will never know. What we do know is that upon the glorious opening musical chorus of his call to action, the young champion embraced his moment and leapt upon the surface he knew so well and was so optimistic that he could finally surmount it. This was his moment. This was his wooden mountain to conquer. This was his time. But the platform he had envisioned in his mind's eye was very different. For the proprietor of this wooden mountain had changed its surface, covering it with treacherous material. And our young hero, the young Melophile, was unable to gain purchase upon his mount and tragically fell to his doom. And how am I able to share this, I don't know, harrowing tale? Because it was me, Tommy! A mellophile is one who loves music, and the aforementioned music was the optimistic dudes of the Spice Girls, and the aforementioned perch was the damn rug that someone who will not be named Thomas Threats put on his table at that dumb college party I talked about, and no one should ever put carpet on a table. And I paid the price in front of all of those imaginary cheerleaders. I was overly optimistic that a good friend wouldn't use carpet as a coaster, and I paid the price. <clears throat> hey, want to give us money? 
money is great because you use it to pay for things and we use it to keep this podcast up and running instead of flailing around and landing on the floor if you like this show and want to keep it upright then please consider becoming a feeling friend today for the low price of just $35 you can get early access to episodes member only episodes that are very special you get an ATF bingo card you get special stickers other things balloons maybe maybe a pony i don't know pete's in charge of all of that stuff if you like this show and you want to keep it around please go to all the feelings.fun and become a feeling friend today and now back to the show uh so hi tom hello it's me is this is this tom from the podcast it is uh, i'm glad you what, know my work so we just we just talked about all the all that, the, the dumb carpet thing. Yeah. That really not letting that go no. is what I've, I've heard. It's been a lot of years and that's still a thing. <laughs> but I want to talk about something non-carpet related. Can you tell me what gets you down in the world today? Like, what gets you down? Currently, what's getting me down is the non-functionality of American government. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. We're gridlocked. It's pretty bad we're, It's all, there's so many weird, um, walls that we didn't know were there built into our system where eight people can take the entire government by hostage yeah by hostage yeah, yeah. take it by hostage yep take I'm it also, by hostage i'm also down about my inability to speak words correctly <laughs> as a podcaster yeah that hits home yeah i so i started looking up on this and i you know i found a, a lot of people are talking about stuff that gets them down just on the idea of well, and and for me, it the thing that gets me down is when I forget to be an optimist, right? When I mm. allow myself to be sunk by events. And I don't like that about yeah. myself. And I don't think I'm alone. Uh, because I think pessimism is contagious. Oh. And I wish optimism were more contagious. Yeah, I like that. And so I, I started thinking a lot about optimism versus rationalism. Like, what does it mean to be a realist versus a pessimist versus an optimist? And I ended up weirdly on a Quora post that I thought was really well presented. Okay. Uh, and and I just want to share a little bit. This is credit to Philippe Cross. And the way Philippe presents this is that an optimist versus a realist, there are there are three uh, um, um, axes. Okay. There's the internal external axes, axis, and that's that determines what we think is under our control. If it's internal, we control it. If it's external, it's totally out of our control. Okay. There's the stable versus unstable axis that that we think that similar future events will turn out the same, or do we have the ability to change those events? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there's specific versus global that we tend to generalize outcomes to other kinds of events, or I should say, to what degree do we generalize to other kinds of events? And this is optimism bias. It's also on the other end of the spectrum. It's pessimism bias, right? right? And, and somewhere along the lines, we in our in the back of our ape brains, <laughs> I don't know why I just got stuck on ape brains versus lizard brains, but something wants me to say in the back of our lizard brain, so lizards and apes have very different brains. And I don't know if they're optimistic or pessimistic. I didn't do that research. If it helps, I'm coming up I empty. thought you said eight brains. And I was like, <laughs> that's a third what? axis. <laughs> <laughs> and I got anyway. uncomfortable. So I went, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the example is um, that uh, let's just say a, a pessimist who fails an exam. Mm -hmm. Right. You just failed the exam. No. 
on the first axis, internal, external, I am so stupid, right? That is internal, okay. that the event was under my control and I failed, therefore it's my fault. I'm going to fail all of my other exams. Oh, sure. That's on the stable, unstable axis, right? That, that is considered stable because it is an outcome that is unchangeable, mm -hmm. right? It's not unstable. It's un, it is unchangeable, therefore it's stable. And then finally, I will never in my life find a career. Oh. That is on the specific versus global. Okay. That is global, right? I'm stupid. I'm going to fail my exams and I'm never going to find a job. Mm -hmm. So that's internal, stable, and global. Now, an optimist is the other end of that spectrum, right? I failed the exam, but I did the best I could. Mm -hmm. This was external. This is like I did what I could do, but the event, the ultimate event was out of my control. I'm sure I'll do better on the next exam. Unstable, meaning I can change the outcome from this one to the next one. Mm -hmm. And this exam failure was just a blip. This one is specific. It is not a global representation of what I can do in the future. So I'm going to be right? able to get a career even though I had trouble with this one. Absolutely. This was an isolated event, right? This was an isolated event. And I, it goes into our self-talk, right? Like when something happens, right. how do you talk about it to yourself right. versus how is it framed to you from others? And one of the, uh, I, I've been kind of hearing this a lot from another podcast I do. You've been a guest on the ADHD podcast when we're talking about how we talk about ourselves, like the self-talk, the, the language we use about ourselves. I would never talk to any of my dearest right. friends using the same language that I use to talk to myself, right? Yep. Like for myself, I'm the failure who failed the exams and I'm never going to find a career. But when other people are trying to care for me in time of need, they say, you did the best you could. I'm sure you're going to do better next time. Mm -hmm. And this was just a blip. Philippe, uh, again, follows this up with a, this, like a, a chef's kiss perfect, you know, optimist's line. In this case, my view is, of course, the only one possible. The glass is actually always full. It is full in part with air and in other parts with liquid. Oh. But it is always full. Philippe, look at you. I love that so much. Yep. That hits so home to me that, again, if we're looking and it's something we've talked about for years, like everything is fluid. Everything is a spectrum. The glass doesn't always have to be all half or not full. Right. Right. Everything has conditions to it. So I, I started thinking about why then does the world get me down so much? Yeah. Why does the world get me down so much? And I think it all wraps up in exactly the, the, the three axes we were talking about above, which is Again, a review, internal, external, stable, unstable, global. specific, global. Right. Okay. So I run into this wonderful piece on intelligent optimism. Here's what intelligent optimism is. This is uh, according to Raya Bidshari. Oh. Raya Bidshari. Intelligent optimism is all about being excited about the future in an informed and rational way. The mindset is critical if we were to get everyone excited about a future by highlighting the rapid progress we've already made and recognizing the tremendous human potential that we have to find solutions to our immediate and long-term problems. So we look at the global uh, financial crises mm -hmm. that we've been dealing with over the last 20 years. And yet over the last 200 years, the world's GDP has grown a hundredfold, according to the World Bank. 
Mortality rates have dropped a ton over the last 300 years, no matter where in the world you live. Just 100 years ago, Tom, that's 1923 (laughs) as we record this, a child born in India or South Korea was only expected to live to guess what age? 72. 23. Oh, my God. India is now over 70, Korea over 80. They've nearly quadrupled. Wow. Okay. Teen births are plummeting. In the U.S. alone since 1991, 67% fewer teens having children out of wedlock. Uh, We can edit genes now. Don't know if you've heard, but gene (laughs) treatments are on the cusp of saving countless lives if we can remove our heads from our asses. (laughs) Climate change, well, okay, it sucks. But, you know, like we, the ozone layer is far better than it would have been had we not changed things in the 80s or 90s. You remember when all we could talk about was the ozone layer, Chlorofluorocarbons. Right. It's all about the CFCs. And you know what? The global annual death rate from natural disasters has actually gone down over the past century. Like, it's it's crazy how much progress we've actually made. Global access to electricity, Tom, and water has actually gone up, like, a lot. And thanks to renewables, experts are finally talking in terms of total global electrification for the first time giving the most rural communities access to light in the dark and clean water is something we're making hella good progress on. I said hella good. (laughs) Okay. We're also making steady progress on food insecurity. In 1991, the World Bank reported 18.6% of the population was undernourished. 2015, 10.8%. David Deutsch points out uh, here, he says, problems exist and problems are soluble with the right knowledge. Again, according to Raya Bichari, intelligent optimism involves recognizing the many problems that we're faced with and acknowledging that we can solve them just as we've overcome many challenges in the past. I contend that part of the problem is... We achieve something great, and then the populace moves on as if we're finished. And I think part of the optimism mindset that I'm taking away from all the reading that I've been doing is that we have to make it a practice, like a mantra, to imagine that we are never finished. That's part of optimism. We solve a problem, we celebrate it, and move on to something that we can solve next. Optimism is never forgetting that you can solve the next problem. Right. I as much as I think Elon Musk is a clown, the fact that we have rocket ships that shoot up into space and land again (laughs) is extraordinary. That is extraordinary for humanity. Right. That company has done something insurmountable. So that's one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about now that I have ranted to you Mm. for the last three minutes. How do you feel? Better. I, but also a little di- like, why doesn't it feel that way? Is it because right. we are not taking the time to enjoy our victories or that it's just easier and more clickable to write stories about how everything's on fire? Yeah, well, I think for sure. Also, uh, specific versus global. I think is a real problem Mm -hmm. because the news that we read, that we consume, the stories we consume, if they are the negative stories, we generalize those stories rather than than remembering that they are specific, right? We generalize them to saying, okay, the uh, financial meltdown. And yeah, it's easy to say this is going to have a ripple effect around the whole globe. But you know what else? I'm actually 
I, I'm I'm okay. Right. Like I'm okay here. My specific locale is okay. I don't have to generalize the worst of the worst as if it's happening in every single city. Right. Right. I don't have to do that because that's not accurate, right? We this stable unstable thing I think is another piece of it. We see the fact that you know climate change is really hard and all we're all talking about climate disaster and climate refugees and all of that is real. And if it was stable, then we would say it we've uh, we've reached the point of no return and we can no longer change things. But that's not true. Right. Right. Objectively, that is not true. This is an unstable element that we humanity, if we decide we're going to fix this, we're going to join the small population of relative small population of thinkers, scientists, engineers who are trying to solve this problem. We could do it together. Right. Right. If we all agree this is unstable, this is a fixable problem. Uh, you know, I, I think those are the things that are the most problematic internal external again going back to to felipe uh we think these events are under our control even the events that aren't in our control part of the thing that the intelligent optimist is arguing is that you know what we might think the whole is out of our control but let's evaluate what is under our control right the what we can actually what is do. the thing yeah i could change mm -hmm. In my life, in my house, the way I live, the water I use, that would actually, you know, start to make a dent. And this is the thing I hear all the time. I hear it from everybody. I hear it from family. I hear it from whatever. Oh, my little use of this little thing isn't going to make a dent. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the optimist's argument is, I believe it will. Right. I believe your little thing plus my little thing plus my neighbor's little thing might actually make a dent. Right. And that's the that's the thing that gets me fired up. Yeah, and your little thing, your little dent, even if you just talk about it, can start making momentum. I like to think so. If someone if someone remembers that you you're doing it, then that's more yeah. of a reason for them to do it. And then yeah, yes. goes on and on. Yeah, and this gets back to my personal peccadillo, mm. which is I get myself fired up about uh, about the about change, the nature of change. Mm -hmm. And then I get real depressed, internal, external depressed, stable, unstable depressed, that in fact, getting fired up about it um, is, is the thing, is a thing that is going to be impossible to change, right? Maybe it's just, we have a lot of bluster and we have too much bluster. And to your point, a non-functioning government, mm. but is me saying it's a non-functioning government doing a discredit to the many, many people in elected office right. who are functioning, right. who are doing the work. We just, you opened with a discussion about eight people. Those eight people have an outsized influence on that body. But what's happening in your local government, right? right? What good is happening right now in your local government? I think that is, that's where our focus should be. And if we could do one thing, let's maybe turn off the national, international news for a little bit mm. and start focusing on what it looks like at home. Sure. Like what could, because we have an outsized influence on our own communities. And that's what gets me excited about optimism. I like it. I'm optimistic about optimism. I have to be. That's right. Things are looking up. Because we... Things are crappy all over the place. We got to find it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of not sort of doom scrolling about these eight people or the, ga yeah. the Gateses of the world, because there's nothing I can do about that right now. No. Other than write there's them nothing. and say, quit it. 
Uh, but yeah. I can support people that are doing work or I can see, yeah, what Governor Newsom is doing. He's doing yeah. quite a lot in California. He's doing a lot. Yeah. Right. Right. I um so I want to I I just want to I want you to indulge me. Oh no. Uh I would like to play um I'd like to play a video that I think is just uh lovely. Oh. And it's about 3 minutes and it's got you know, it's got music and stuff. Is this the music video great. to Wanna Be by the Spice Girls? It is. It's the music video to Wanna Be by the Spice Girls. What is it? This is a reading that Carl Sagan did oh. from his book, Pale Blue Dot, okay. A Vision of the Human Future in Space. We might get sued, but I think it's really, really important uh, language. And I think it's a great way to kind of wrap up. And honestly, I tear up every time I hear it wow. because it's, it's just kind of lovely. We were hunters and foragers. The frontier was everywhere. We were bounded only by the earth and the ocean and the sky. The open road still softly calls. Our little terraqueous globe is the madhouse of those hundred thousand millions of worlds. We who cannot even put our own planetary home in order, riven with rivalries and hatreds, are we to venture out into space? By the time we're ready to settle even the nearest other planetary systems, we will have changed. The simple passage of so many generations will have changed us. Necessity will have changed us. We're an adaptable species. It will not be we who reach Alpha Centauri and the other nearby stars. It will be a species very like us, but with more of our strengths and fewer of our weaknesses. More confident, far-seeing, capable, and prudent. For all our failings, despite our limitations and fallibilities, we humans are capable of greatness. What new wonders, undreamt of in our time, will we have wrought in another generation, and another? How far will our nomadic species have wandered by the end of the next century, and the next millennium? Our remote descendants, safely arrayed on many worlds through the solar system and beyond, will be unified by their common heritage, by their regard for their home planet, and by the knowledge that whatever other life may be, the only humans in all the universe come from Earth. They will gaze up and strain to find the blue dot in their skies. They will marvel at how vulnerable the repository of all our potential once was, how perilous our infancy, how humble our beginnings, how many rivers we had to cross before we found our way. Ooh, drinking out the bottle, not thinking about tomorrow. Don't worry, that's the motto, so we keep moving along. Ooh. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. 
This week's tune is Keep Moving Along by Milano. We, uh, I, you know, I don't know how we did it, Tom, but somehow we chose optimism and I got myself right fired up. Yeah. Things are going yeah, good. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Let's see if we can really turn the table next week. <laughs> Ooh, we are doing fear. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Uh, That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. I don't yes. know how to approach this. Do you have any guide rails on how you're approaching your thoughts on fear? Anything to set me up? Yeah, I think whatever it is, it should be harrowing. Okay. And uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <until> then, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, my name's Tommy Betts III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thanks for downloading. We'll be back next week with all the feelings. Oh,